0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Yeah, That's what those guys are called. Five blind guys from Alabama. And I love those guys because they know the Lord and uh, blindness has not held them back from worshiping Him. I want to just draw your attention, first of all, to the insert in your bulletin. If you would just take that out for a moment, I'd like to uh, have you take a peek at it. And on the insert in your bulletin, you'll notice a diagram, um, an organized creativity. On the one side, the most blank side is a, a question there, a, a statement. T- take time to pray about a scripture that speaks to welcoming a person or family to our church or gives a person comfort, support, or a sense of belonging, friendship, hope, etc. This is part of an exercise that we as a congregation are doing in the next month. And we are gonna be collectively painting a mosaic that will be with four panels, one for each season, that will be displayed in the Welcome Center. And there are two stages to this whole project. The first is on the one side where you're going to just choose a verse of Scripture and write a little statement about how it is that this faith community has meant something to you, about how a Scripture has meant something to you, and how it might encourage someone that is newer to our faith community. And then on the other side, you'll notice that the uh, second part of it is You're gonna sign up for one hour during a Wednesday or a Sunday in the next month, and there are gonna be people at the cafe at the front of the building where they're gonna help you to paint part of a five by seven little panel, and 200 of them are gonna make up the entire uh, mosaic or mural that's gonna be on the wall, and you can read more about it here. But we'd encourage you to um, sign up for one of those one hour sessions. It's either after the Wednesday night come to the table or after the Sunday morning service and that whole area is gonna be dedicated for that. And I'm really excited about how this whole thing is gonna be a collective uh, impression of of, uh, how God is worshiped here and how many ways that we have found this community of faith of, of benefit. So, amen. We've been studying the book of Galatians, and for the last two months, we've been in the weeds on the first three chapters. And today, as I begin, I'd like to summarize because I really want to connect the message of Galatians with this very day, Easter Sunday, and the resurrection. And we entitled the series on Galatians, The Nature of True Religion. The word religion actually comes from a Latin word which means to tie or bind. And so when you hear the word religion, it doesn't sound freeing, freedom being the nature of true religion, it sounds restrictive and limiting to tie or bind. And that's because we have the wrong understanding of the the origin of the word. The origin of the word is not that it's tied or bound from something, but rather we are tied or bound to someone. That's the nature of religion. That's the origin of the word. We are tied and bound to a living God, and having been bound and tied to him in a living, abiding relationship with God, we are therefore freed from so much else that would bind us and tie us down and enslave us. And so when Paul is writing the letter of Galatians to all the churches of that province, he is talking about the setting free of being bound to God who is the one in whom we find real freedom. And while I'm on this subject, I wanted to mention this T-shirt that I'm wearing, which says at the front, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship with God. And on the back, it also says it's, it's not about rules, it's about freedom and so on. And uh, here's the day that Kevin decides to wear a suit. Yeah. Uh, or A, or a, a tie. <laughs> and uh, I'm just pushing the boundaries of some of you with your legalism. <laughs> whether you can tolerate a preacher with a T-shirt on. And so I hope that uh, you'll not uh, have any indigestion at lunch. (laughs) Amen. But this idea of being bound to, the the best human illustration that we could ever come up with, which the scriptures use on various occasions, is the subject of marriage. Marriage is the best human illustration of this, this kind of union with kind of relationship that we are, we, are, we are to have with the living God. This marriage relationship. For those of you who are married, I hope that you did not enter marriage thinking that it is a limiting and restrictive relationship. I did, hope that you did not enter marriage thinking that this is a ball and chain that you have to drag around for the next, this kind of union relationship of intimacy and trust. It's the best picture that the scriptures can give us of a human relationship of faith and trust, a loving relationship with him, where our hearts are not duplicit, where we don't have a relationship with several idols, several affections on our hearts, several gods, small g, that compete with the one true living God, but rather there is is singleness of heart, one God on the throne, And there is freedom in that. There is incredible joy in that. Unfortunately, that's not the way most people see Christianity. In fact, for many, religion is a curse word. G.K. Chesterton said that most of the philosophers think that in making the world God enslaved it, according to Christianity, God set it free. Christianity is a rescue religion, and the misunderstandings abound, of course. The misunderstandings abound because the message of grace that we've been looking at in Galatians has been perverted and distorted. It has been poorly taught, and it has been even poorly lived, hasn't it? And that's caused a lot of problems, and so by the time we arrive into adulthood where we are, and we have come with all the religious baggage into this place where our mindset and our heart set is a certain way, by the time we get into adulthood, we have what we've been calling several RTDs, religiously transmitted diseases. You see, we've arrived here, and we've arrived here in a journey that's taken us through various places in our journey, and none of us are the same this way. So we've got a little bit of new age and we've got a little bit of legalism and we've got a little bit of self-help and we've got a little bit of of this and a little bit of that. And we've arrived and, and the particular strain of RTD that you might have requires a particular vaccine that will be needed for you. But the grace of Jesus Christ, the message that is found in Scripture is able to deliver us and bring you freedom from whatever has bound you in the past. And so it's not about religion, it really isn't, it's about relationship with God. And uh, this morning, as we think about this, I'd like to talk a bit about legalism. And we talked uh, in the scriptures and Galatians about legalism And we define that legalism is someone who keeps, a legalist is someone who keeps a legal list. And uh, legalism is that, that approach to life that replaces the grace of God with something that you can do in performance or in external behavior. And what Paul is writing the Galatian churches are about was deeply disturbing because there was a whole bunch of Gentile peoples, non-Jewish peoples, that were coming to see and know Jesus. But then after they came out of the enslavement of sin, they were being enslaved all over again with religious baggage, with rules of do's and don'ts. And in our series on Galatians, we identified legalism in four ways. We said that legalism is in a focus on external conformity instead of internal heart transformation. Because it really is about the heart, isn't it? If we go to the next slide. It's about internal heart and how many times Jesus confronted the Pharisees on this matter. It's, a, it's not about, legalism focuses on our performance of trying to be the best we can be instead of what Christ has done, which is more than good enough to set us free if we will trust in his sacrifice for our sins. Legalism focuses on keeping a bunch of rules. It's a code, and, and different codes we bring into this, but it's a code. Instead of focusing on a relationship with God, And then fourthly, we said that legalism, in whatever form it takes, is about bondage to a standard instead of freedom found in the grace of God, being accepted through what Christ has done and being able to breathe and know that he does not condemn me anymore. I am free in Christ. The opposite of legalism is not license to sin. It is rather an acknowledgement that I'm broken that sin has broken my life in every level, that God sees me in my brokenness, and that he has sent Jesus Christ to bring healing to my wounds, to my brokenness. He has come to restore me through his son, and how he does that is different than what every other world religion teaches how it's to be done. How he does it is an absolute and free gift of grace unmerited favor, nothing that I could do, have done, or will do could ever add to that. Jesus Christ has fully done what I could never do by satisfying the just demands of all the stuff that God would require of me in order for me to fellowship with him. And so today as we serve and celebrate a risen Christ, a risen savior, This freedom is the message that I want us to emphasize. You see, the moment that you make a a list of rules on how you think you need to live in order to be somewhat pleasing to God, the moment that you make a list of rules that somehow is is a philosophy of life or a way of living or a lifestyle, however you want to describe it, the moment that you do that and that centers on you and your performance, you have forfeited the grace of of the offer of Jesus Christ for you, that is given out of pure love for you in your need. So faith is not a self-improvement project, faith is not a check the box kind of religion, it's not just trying harder, it's about completely trusting, believing in what God has done through his son. Believing that, that God came down and he entered into your mess, He entered into your brokenness. He understands you completely, he made you. He formed you while you were in your mother's womb. And he has the grace and ability and wisdom to to sort out that mess and to give you hope in a future. And the only people that are not eligible for this incredible offer of love and grace are those who think that they don't need it. Now there have been a few groups in our church that have been studying a book by a Sri Lankan author named Sky Jathani. We must pause this morning to think about Sri Lanka. You might have heard on the news this morning that there were many hotels and three churches that were bombed at their early morning Easter services today. And to, to date there's been 207 people that were killed and uh, it was a very clearly targeted attack in I think at least three different cities of that, of that nation. And uh, we must lift up to the Lord this, this people that are hurting as they went to their churches to celebrate a risen Christ and now have died. Many of their loved ones died. Praise God that if they were trusting in Christ, they are already risen with him or waiting to be risen with him Sky Jathani has written a book called With. The thing I like about this book is the simplicity of describing the way that we relate to God and the different RTDs that have messed up people's minds in the process. And he uses prepositions. A preposition is a word that is prepositioned pre-positioned to, to help you understand the object of the sentence, right? And so the the four that he uses to begin with are under, over, from, and for. But then he describes that a relationship with God is what the scriptures and what Jesus is all about. And so let's just take a look at the ones, first of all, life under God, he says. This is the way some people approach their faith, their idea of God, life under God. We relate to God by a simple chain of command. That's the way it is. We figure out what he wants, we do it, we try to avoid trouble, we try to earn his favor. This is what I would call classic legalism. It is this idea that if I just do the right things, I'm living up to the measure, the standard that he requires, and so I'm living my life under God, but there's no hint of a loving father here that is gracious to me because I can't live up to his standard. This is life under God, a delusion of thinking that I could please him. The second kind of approach is life over God. And this is the example where faith replaces God with religious formulas. And unfortunately, this is rampant as well in our world. God gives us, you see, many people think this way, God gives us in this book a whole bunch of principles to live by. And if you will unpack the principles to live by in this book, you don't need God, you got the principles. You don't have any, this is another more complicated, complex form of legalism. You don't need a living relationship with God, you've got his principles to live by, and if you live up to those principles, you're good. You're good. It really is a form of deism, where God has set the world in motion, given us all that we need to live by, and as he's gone back to heaven, he's just watching to see how it works. It's all up to us. You can determine the outcomes, folks. You, you can live by the principles or you cannot live by the principles. It's up to you. But a living, loving, present witness of God, that's not even part of the picture in this mindset, you see. Life over God. Another one that he describes is life from God. People who take this posture value God, not for himself, but for what they can get out of him, for his blessings. He's the great dispenser of all blessing in heaven. And we live under him, and we live from him. He's, he is the one who, who just, it's all about me, really. And boy, there's great disillusionment when he doesn't deliver the goods. God in a box, I say. God made in my image, the God that I need him to be for me to be the best me I can be, that's the God of life from God. God is making me a better me, it's all about me. I think it's not much more than a narcissistic license. It's not really legalism. Life for God is perhaps the hardest to see where it has strains of RTDs and that is perhaps one of the most common misunderstandings of the Christian life among Christians. Life for God is that I am to serve God, that's why I'm on Earth, he's saved me, set me apart, I'm now to serve God and I wanna do great things for God, I wanna wanna be radical in my faith, I wanna do great exploits for God and I wanna be following his way and doing his work, and the problem, is, it sounds good, the problem is that there's not much there about grace and my deep need for his, his presence in my life and, my, and his grace, and there's not much there except me doing work for God, you see. The author, Sky Jathani, says that there's a measure of truth in all of these different approaches to understanding and relating to God, But they ultimately seek to use God as a means to an end instead of being the end in himself. And each of them is rooted in fear and somehow a desire to control the circumstances and the outcomes. So instead, what Sky Jathani proposes is that we really were created and the scriptures teach that we we were meant to be in relationship with God, not God did not send a list of rules, life under God. He did not send an instruction manual, manual, life over God. He did not send a magic lamp with a genie, life from God. He did not send a mission impossible tape that could turn you into the hero, life for God. He sent his son, he sent himself. He came to earth personally, he visited us. And all the scriptures, the Bible is full of evidence that this is the way of understanding God. From the very beginning, it was Adam and Eve that wandered through the Garden of Eden in fellowship with God. And, and later on, it was when they, when they built the tabernacle and when they had all this sacrificial system and priests and, and, and temples and tabernacles and so on, that, what was the point? It was the point that God, a holy God, wants to dwell among and with his people, sinners. And when Jesus Christ was born, what is he called? He's called Emmanuel, God with us. And when Jesus chose the 12 apostles that they might be with him, it says, and Jesus' last heard words that, that we had from him before he was ascended back into heaven, what does he say? For, for behold, I will with you, I'll be with you. Always until the very end of the age. And then after he had sent, he had left, he sent his Holy Spirit. Why? So that, that I might be with you, he says, by my spirit. You see, that's what God wants. From all, from the very beginning of time. What has God wanted? He he wants a relationship with you. That's what he wants. He wants to be in relationship. Now that's been a long introduction, but I wanna take a look at a passage of scripture this morning from Acts chapter 13. And if you have a Bible or a a device that contains a Bible, would you look at it now with me in Acts chapter 13, and as you turn to it, I'm just gonna give you a little bit of background. In Acts chapter 13, we read of the first missionary journey that the Apostle Paul went on. He leaves, he and Barnabas leave a place called Antioch in Syria. Which was a very multicultural city and church. And he travels, and after a while, he arrives at another city called Antioch in Pisidia, modern day Turkey. And there is a very Jewish community. And as was Paul's custom on the Sabbath day, he goes to the synagogue and he wakes there, and the synagogue rulers in that Place notice him and they say they send a message to him and say if there's anything that you want to say of encouragement to us speak for now is your opportunity so Paul gets up never wastes an opportunity and he goes through an Old Testament survey I think the lentil stew might have been overcooked that day and in that survey he talks a bit about the slavery that the Israelites faced in Egypt and how they were delivered by Moses and how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and how God led them into the Promised Land and how God helped them overcome their enemies and how God brought the prophet Samuel and the first king, Saul. And then he arrives at David, the second king. And that's where he kind of stays for the rest of the sermon. And in verse 22 of Acts 13, God says, "'I have found David, son of Jesse, "'a man after my own heart, who will do my will. "'And of this man's offspring, "'God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised.'" So so as, as soon as he gets to David, he cuts the Old Testament survey, he skips over to Jesus, the son of David, and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus to this group in the synagogue in this place called Antioch. Would you, would you just take your Bibles now in Acts chapter 13 and we're gonna look at verse 36 to 43. Would you stand with me if you have the opportunity to stand, or able to? Acts chapter 13 and let's begin in verse 36. For David after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you therefore brothers that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware therefore lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look you scoffers, be astounded and perish for I am doing a work in your days A work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. That's every pastor's dream. That as you leave today, you'd be begging that you'd come back next week and hear more, right? In verse 43, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. May God bless his word. You may be seated, thank you. David was not without his faults. On a human scale, you might see him as a greater sinner than yourself, and you might be right on a human scale. But God looks at the heart, and that's what God told Samuel when he was directed to go to Jesse's house to find the next king after Saul. Do you remember that story? And he goes to Jesse's house, and he he is gonna have this banquet. And he asks him to bring all of his sons, and the first son is Eliab, the, the oldest and the biggest and tallest. And he stands before Samuel the prophet, and God whispers into Samuel's ear, do not consider his stature or his height. For man does not, God does not look at what man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And so Eliab passes by, and the next son comes along, and he comes up. And, and all seven, seven of, of Jesse's sons pass by. And Samuel says, Do you have any others? And he says, Jesse says, Well, there is is one more. There is one more out in the fields watching sheep. And the word in Hebrew that is used of this is called a hakatan. He says, there is the hakatan out in the fields. And Samuel says, we will not begin until he comes. Now the word hakatan could mean just simply youngest. But in ver- various usages that I saw, anyway, it also could mean least, most unimportant, most insignificant, and it can even mean worthless one. Worthless one. It could have been that Jesse was saying, ah, oh, there's the no good punk kid out of my youngest out in the fields watching a few sheep. <laughs> setting a curse upon his son not knowingly. I wonder if some of you today, whether by birth order or by mistreatment, by abuse, you feel like a hakatan, a worthless one. God has other plans for your life just like he did for David. And the biggest challenge that you face if you feel that way is redefining your own life not according to what others have said about you, but according to what God has said about you, that you're precious, that you were created in his image for relationship with him. In Acts 13, 36, Paul says that after David served God's purposes for his life in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and he saw corruption. You see, David was anointed king that day and David lived his entire life and he reigned for 40 years as the king of Israel, and he fulfilled God's purposes for his life, not the wishes that his dad might have had. Now why is David so important? Why is Paul emphasizing this in this sermon? The same, David's a big deal, you see, because it's in in all of the history of Israel, in all of the history of Israel, there was no time greater than the reign and rule of David. That's why David looms so large in Israelite history, that during the time of David, they conquered more of the land of Canaan, the Promised Land, they conquered more of the land of Canaan, they drove out more of their enemies, they subdued more of enemy and rival nations, they occupied more of the Promised Land, and they enjoyed a longer period of peace under the rule and reign of David than any other king before or after David all the way up until the time that Paul is preaching this sermon in 46 A.D. David is that, that, this is the zenith of Israel, David was it. And the one who would come, they knew, would be a descendant of David, the son of David, and he would follow in the steps of David. And so Paul, in preaching, as soon as he arrives in this Old Testament survey to the point of David, he just skips right over the rest and he goes right to Jesus, the son of David. And then he makes this comparison as he links them up. He he quotes some of David's messianic psalms, which we didn't read, but he, he links it up and he contrasts the two kingdoms of David and Jesus, the son of David. And what he primarily emphasizes in this day in verse 37, it says he, he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you therefore that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he, so he goes to, to write to the message of Jesus Christ and he's basically saying, listen, David you venerate, David you honor, David you remember. That's wonderful, but guess what? David died when gathered to his fathers and he was buried here in Jerusalem. And if you go to Jerusalem today, they say you can find where David is buried, whether it's he's there or not. But he's somewhere, his ashes, his bones are somewhere in Jerusalem because his body saw corruption and decay, but not Jesus. You can look high and low in, in, around Jerusalem. You can look all over the planet Earth. You will not find the bones of Jesus. In fact, if someone could produce the bones of Jesus, I would pack my bags and do something else with my life. And we would have to decide on a different mission statement as a church and either we're going to become a humanitarian organization or we're going to become a social club or we're going to do something else because it it doesn't matter anymore. Nothing else really matters if, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. But indeed he did. And that's why he can be Emmanuel, God with us. And we can have a relationship with him. And there's no question that Jesus Christ is the one who frees us. You know the thing that I found so interesting as I studied this text is the ESV, the English Standard Version that I just read from, uses the word freed. Some of your translations would have used the word justified. It's exactly the same word that we've been talking about in Galatians for the last few weeks. This uh, this act of God whereby he declares you a sinner righteous before him. Purely on the merit of his son Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary at the cross. And this exchange takes place where I get his righteousness, he gets my sin, he took it to the grave, he was risen from the uh, the dead, and, and now I get to be in a relationship as a child of God. That's the gospel. That's the message of grace. And that's the message that Paul is preaching in this day and and at the end of the the message, they wanted to come back and hear more because it was all about the grace of God. And they'd been hearing nothing but the law of Moses. They'd been hearing nothing but a, a mixture of law and grace which was not pure grace. And perhaps you've grown up and you've heard a lot of religious ideas and perhaps you have heard a lot of things that conflict with this incredible offer of love from God. And I hope today that God will, God will give you ears to hear that, that it is all about what Jesus Christ did. And the response that we have is one of love in wanting to be obedient, in wanting to serve him, and wanting to draw from his grace and power to live the life I can't live. You know, On December the 18th, 1865, does that ring a bell for anybody? December the 18th, 1865, Abraham Lincoln signed the 13th Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America, which stated that from that day forward, from that day forward, every slave man and woman under the dominion of the United States of America, was free. Every slave in the whole United States of America on the 18th day of December, 1865, was declared no longer a slave, but free. And on that very day as well, slave owners, plantation managers, were thrown into panic. How would they manage their farms? How would they grow their crops? Who would be their labor force? Now, the very next day on December 19th, 1865, most of the slaves who had been pronounced free the day before got up and went back to work just like the day before. Now, I think there's three reasons why that happened, one of three, at least. The reason that a slave that was pronounced free would go back to enslavement the very next day would be either because he had not heard the message of emancipation, the 13th Amendment that set him free. He'd not heard about it or he or she perhaps heard about it, but could not believe it, it's too good to be true. Or thirdly, the masters of those slave owners had perverted the message and enslaved them all over again with something else in the interpretation. And I think today, friends, there's a lot of people that do not understand the message of the bible they do not understand the freedom that was bought for us at the cross through jesus christ was secured through the resurrection and why do they not understand it i think there's three reasons one is because they've never heard it they've never really heard this kind of message another reason is that they've heard it but they just don't believe it. it is too good to be true that God would treat me this way? Even though I still sin and I'm still messed up and I still have baggage, God would still put that kind of love on me? Too good to be true. And the third reason that I think Galatians mostly is about is another reason why is because there's been a twisted and distorted version of the message that has been handed down. And it has kept people, professing Christian people in bondage. They've come out of the bondage of enslavement of fleshly passions and they've gotten into the bondage of religious garbage, religious rules, religious stuff. My family knows this, that my favorite movie of all time is the movie called Mission, The Mission, starring Robert De Niro. 1986 British film that describes the experience of the Jesuit priests in the 18th century in South America. And uh, De Niro plays the part of a mercenary slave, Rodrigo Mendoza, who makes a living kidnapping the Guarani native people, selling them into slavery to nearby plantations. And his life takes on a radical shift when he is accused and convicted of murdering his own brother. And he's called upon by the Catholic Church to do penance. His penance means that he's gotta go up Iguazu Falls all the way up to where the, the mission homes were in the colonies and he's gotta meet up with the very people that he used to enslave. And the Jesuit priests take him up there and he's dragging behind him a whole mesh bag of his armor and his swords and his weaponry that he used to kill and to capture the Guarani Indians. And there's a deeply symbolic part in the movie where he gets to the top of Iguasu Falls having carried this, this burden and he's exhausted and he finally meets face to face the tribe of the Guarani that meet him. And one of the chiefs of the Guarani pulls out a big sword, and it looks like that Mendoza is going to be slit. He's going to be killed right on the spot, because that's what he deserves. But instead, he takes the knife and he cuts the burden off of his back, and then he goes to the edge and he throws it off hundreds of feet below into the river, and. Mendoza, Robert De Niro, just weeps and he weeps with such an act of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And the Guarani think it's so funny that he's weeping and they start laughing and then he starts laughing. And the rest of the movie is all about him doing everything he can to protect these very people from the Portuguese colonists that come and wipe them out. Friend, the message of Jesus is real. The message of a living savior is real. He's come to to not add more burdens to your life. He didn't come to make it harder. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, you'll find rest for your souls. He's come to set you free. Because if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And as the worship team comes, and as we get ready to conclude our service this morning, I just want you to think about how it is that you need to be set free. How it is that Jesus came down into your mess And because he came down into your mess, he is God with you. He is God with you. Do not think that you are alone in whatever you are facing. A young person may be facing no friendships, having a hard time making your way through life. You're not alone. God is with you. A single parent who's not sure how it is, a single mom that maybe has no way of really how to raise this child, how to be, who's my partner, how am I gonna, God is with you in that. A father, a father who's, who's scared of going home into the relational and emotional mess that's waiting for him back home, God is with you. You can have the courage to enter the mess of life because you, you know that God is with you. That's what it means to be set free from a living God through the resurrection of Christ. Seniors who fall into this state of life where life is all about loss. People that are sick and and ill, and you've, you've been facing hard times, your death is imminent, you don't know how it is that you're gonna go forward. God is with you. That's the message of Easter. Father God, I pray that you will take these words of mine, the thoughts of ours together this morning, that you would be pleased, O oh God, by your Holy Spirit to apply them where they need to be applied into each heart, for you are a living, personal God and you want relationship. Thank you that you are with us in Christ, amen.